and have a seat. Hopefully you, you greeted someone. If you didn't greet somebody yet, just stare at them and give them the what's up kind of <laughs> nod. Um, I'm, I'm so happy to be with you this morning and uh, honored that you would all be here. We are in the final week of our series, The Table. And before we get into the message, can we just give it up for our worship team? Thank you for taking us into the presence of God. So thankful for, for all of our, our teams, how they serve and create this space. We talked about setting the table, creating this space for us to connect with God. And I do just want to note, uh, we are going to be doing baptisms after service today. So uh, we still have baptisms. We had some this morning. And the only reason we're doing it after service is I just felt like that's the way I wanted to do it today. You know, baptism is a, it's a public declaration of a personal decision, and it needs to be public. It's supposed to be public. It, it really is a, a thing where the church gathers around, celebrates the decision that that person has made. Scripture talks about how people who were saved were baptized, and God was adding them to the church. It, it's a church thing, but I also just want to recognize maybe for some of you the, the idea of speaking into a microphone and doing it right in the middle of service, it might seem a little intimidating. And so just for today, we're going to do it at the end of service, after service is over, and we're still going to do everything we normally do. And there'll be some people there, but maybe not everybody. And I just say that to say, if you've never been biblically baptized, of course, we do it the last Sunday of every month, but you don't have to wait till next month. You can do it at the end of service today. And I'm going to give an invitation for those of you that maybe have never placed your trust in Jesus, to trust in Jesus Day. This could be your opportunity. You do that, go ahead and get baptized, and we're going to celebrate with you. It's just not going to be you people. But as we get into this message, the table, uh, if you've missed any other weeks, you can go online, check out all the messages. But what we're doing, we're using this picture of a table to illustrate God's plan and purpose for the church. All throughout Scripture, we see this typology of a table in Scripture and even in church history, the early church, where people would come and they would gather together, and it makes a lot of sense. The first week, if you missed it, we talked about how God's presence is here at the table. We talked about the Lord's table, specifically communion, how when we receive communion, God's presence is here, and we come together, we receive from his presence, and whatever we need, we can find at the table, how we've all been invited. The second week, we talked about the different chairs. We didn't have a bench. We had some different chairs around the table. You know, in your own table, you probably have some seats that you sit at. Jesus, of course, is at the seat of honor. He's at the head of the table. But there's, there's always got to be a seat for people that are far from God. So people at church, there should always be seats for people that don't know Jesus yet because that's the seat where they believe. And then there's got to be a seat for new believers. And we talked about how that can be messy. It's a seat where, where you belong and, you know, you're growing in your faith. And then there's the seat of maturity where... You believe, belong, become who God has called you to be. That's part of the table. That was week two. Last week, my wife gave a great message on making room and pulled out the leaf. That was great. So if you missed that one, you should definitely check it out. But that's appropriate because in just a couple weeks, we're getting ready to make some more room. And, uh, of course, we have Easter. We're doing three Sunday morning Easter services. We have one at 8.30, one at 10.00. And one at 11.30, and I want to ask, if you would, try to come to either the 8.30 or 11.30, because we know that the 10 o'clock is going to be your biggest service for sure. And so we want to make room for people to experience the hope that's 
found in Jesus, and there's got to be seats, and sometimes if you come in and you can't find a seat, um, that would be a tragedy. So we want to make some more room for that. And as we get into this last message in this series, I want us to look together at Luke chapter 14, where once again, we're going to find Jesus sitting at a table because he's been invited to dine and eat with a prominent Pharisee. Now, if you've been coming and you're maybe here for week two, you might think he's, he's eating with a Pharisee. Wasn't he just eating with a Pharisee the last time? Yeah, Jesus, in fact, in, in Luke alone, three separate times, Jesus is invited and eats with Pharisees. I like to point that out because sometimes, maybe if we've been around church a little bit, we have this idea that it was always Jesus versus the Pharisees. Like Jesus, he just went to the tax collectors. He just went to the sinners. He just went to the prostitutes. He just went to the down and out. And he did. He, he definitely did. And there definitely was, uh, you know, opposition from the Pharisees for sure. But I also want you to see that Jesus didn't discriminate. You know, we have a phrase we say at this church, we say this is for everyone. What that means is the gospel message is for everyone. Jesus didn't discriminate. He, yeah, he ate with the prostitutes and tax collectors and, and people that were sinners, and he ate with the Pharisees too. He ate with the religious people too. He didn't just go to the down and out, he went to the up and out because this message is for everyone. So once again, he, he's at this table with a prominent Pharisee, and he uses this to teach four different lessons. He starts by doing this incredible miracle. He heals this man who had been sick. And the reason that this is significant is because it was the Sabbath when he's eating this meal. And if you know anything about the Sabbath, it wouldn't have been customary to heal on the Sabbath. So he, he heals this man on the Sabbath, and he uses it to illustrate God's care and love and compassion. He says, man, you would do this for your, your son or your daughter, or you would do it for an animal. How much more would God not want to free people and help people who are bound? And so he does that, and then he, he's sitting at the table, and kind of like we did in week two talking about the chairs, Jesus notices that there were people who were wanting to take, you know, the, the prominent position, take a, a seat of honor. And he says, hey, when, when you do this, don't, don't try and take the seat of honor, take the lowest place. He's talking about really promoting a, a posture of humility, talks about humility and then from there he moves in to talk about the people at the table and and how to serve and he goes on to say that when you serve you do it with the right attitude you do it with the right heart you do it for the right reasons with the, the right motives there is going to be a reward in heaven now at this remark that there's going to be a reward in heaven one of the guys sitting at the table he kind of like puffs up his chest a little bit, he gets excited, wants to show Jesus, you know, how his Bible knowledge, how, how, how into the moment he is. He's like, man, Jesus, isn't it going to be great when we get to heaven and we are going to be feasting? It's going to be awesome for anybody who's there. And that's the statement that Jesus then launches into this parable that I want to read to you. It's found in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read. We're going to start in verse 16. This is called the parable of the great banquet. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man 
was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. There's a third one that says, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. He doesn't say, please excuse me. It's like, hey, you get it, right? <laughs> just got married. You know. The, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I want to use this text to talk to you today about a full house, a full house. That's the title of my message. And, you know, normally when you're talking about a full house, you're not talking about a table like this. You're talking about a different kind of table. Um, there's usually maybe some, some chips on the table. There's some cards on the table. Unless you're thinking of Uncle Jesse, that's a different kind of full house too. But um, this is a throwback for the 90s kids. But uh, this, this full house, I, I, I don't want to talk about a card table. I mean, I could probably put a message together about, you know, how to deal with the hand you've been dealt. But this is a different message. We want to talk about a full house. And the reason I like this parable is because in it, you immediately see the heart of God. God's heart is to have a full house. God's heart is for people to experience what he has prepared for them. That was the first thing that stuck out to me reading this passage, is that God has prepared something great for people. God has good things prepared for you. That's Ephesians 2.8, right? That God, we were prepared for good works. It wasn't by grace we were saved through faith. But it wasn't by works, but by grace through faith we've been saved for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in, in them. God has great things prepared. And he wants people to experience what he has for them at the table. That's the good news. That's the message that I want to get to because you can almost see it. There's like this urgency of we've got to get people in here. That there's space, there's room, we're not going to let this go to waste. We've got to get people in here to experience what the master's prepared. That's what I want to talk about. That's what we're going to get to. But before I can talk about that, I first have to talk about the warning that's in this text. Because there's, there's a warning in the text, too. I don't know if you noticed it. See, Jesus, whenever he would tell a story, he had this way of turning the tables. People thought it was going to end up one way. This guy says, man, won't it be great, Jesus, to get to heaven and to feast? It's going to be awesome. She says, yeah, it is going to be awesome. 
for the people that are there. And maybe the people that you think are going to be there aren't the ones that are going to be there. He, he, flips, he flips the script on it. And what's interesting as I read through this is that these guys who had some excuses, they're not even bad excuses. See, Jesus, he, he didn't just share God's heart for people. He, he upended their assumptions. He challenged their paradigms. In order to get it, I need to first explain a little bit of the mechanics about party back in the day. Because you might have been reading through, you're like, no, it doesn't really make sense. I don't understand why they responded that way. And, and the master, you sent out two invitations. That's kind of weird to see like some kind of OCD party planner. Doesn't really make sense. But you understand, first of all, in this time, it would have been completely customary to send out two invitations. It's not really that strange even in our context. We do it for certain events, right? Anybody getting married soon? Anybody getting married soon? Anybody? Oh, we got a couple people here, a couple people here. Let's put it together for the people getting married soon, right? Awesome. Hopefully, we're all invited. Um, but what do you do when you're getting married, right? First, you send out the save the date, right? Why do you do that? Because you want to stress the importance of it. You want to make sure people don't miss it. You want people to be there. Then after the save the date, then comes the real invitation, that's the one that people need to RSVP for. Now, why does somebody do that? Yes, it's important. Yes, I want people to be there. But planning a party, big wedding party, big banquet, it's expensive. I'm going to take up an offering for these people getting married soon. It's expensive. <laughs> it's expensive. And so what you don't want to do, you don't want to underplan, not have enough food for everybody who's coming. That's embarrassing. You also... Don't want to spend all your money on the wedding because you got a honeymoon. You know, you, you want to save some money. You don't want stuff to go to waste. Well, same thing back in the day. In, in, in Jesus' day, they would give two invitations, much for the same reason. They would first, they would send a messenger out with an invitation to come to dinner. Didn't have the postal service, so they send somebody. They say, hey, would you like, we're throwing a party. Would you like to come? This person would say, yes, I want to come. Then when the meal was ready, they would send them back out and say, hey, it's ready now, you can come. Why? Because they didn't have watches back then. Planning a banquet like this would, would be a big deal. So, so they would get the response, who's coming, get the head count. Then they would go butcher the amount of, you know, butcher the animals that they need to prepare for the banquet. Take a long time. Once they know, they would send the messenger to say, it's ready now, you can come. I'm trying to set that up for you so that it's really clear that these people we read about they knew well in advance about this party. This was not a surprise. This was not a last-minute invitation. Any last-minute inviters out there? That's me. I like to last-minute. Really, for me, it's a test of your love for me. If you'll come on short notice, I just want to know where we're at in the relationship. <laughs> Strategic. But uh, th this was not a last-minute invite. Th they knew about this. It was already on their calendar. They had already said, yes, I will definitely be there. But when it came time to actually show up, everybody had an excuse. 
Everybody had an excuse. And to me, you know, you read through this, it's not like their excuses were bad things. It's not like these were evil men. It's not like these were sinful people. All their excuses on the surface seem pretty reasonable. Let's, let's look at them together. It says, always excitement when you open the Bible. Um, it says, the first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. The next one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. All these excuses on the surface, they seem, you know, relatively reasonable. I mean, it's not like they were trying to do something that was evil or, or sinful. But as I've grown a little wiser, a little more mature, I've realized that these excuses would have sounded completely lame to Jesus' Jewish audience. And you can understand this, too, if you dig into it a little bit. Let's take the first one. He said, I can't come. I've just bought a field. I have to go inspect it. Because that's always when you do due diligence, is after you buy property. <laughs> Has anybody ever bought a house before? You know, our due diligence for this building was a year. A, a year, just to inspect it, make sure it's going to work for us, make sure what we were promised is what we were actually getting. A year. But yeah, I bought this, now I'm going to inspect it. Nobody would, anybody who heard that would have said, this guy is crazy. He is either lame or he, he is lying. Let's think about the next one. The other guy said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, I have to go try them out. Now, again, the same thing applies, right? Like, it doesn't matter whether you're going to try them out tonight or tomorrow. You bought them. You, you've got them whether you like it or not. But the bigger point is oxen in this day represented work. So this guy, by saying, hey, I've got five yoke of oxen I just bought, he's saying, I'm really busy. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I, I've got more going on than I can handle. You even hear it in his excuse, he said, I'm on my way to test them out. Now think about this for a minute. This guy is big shot, lots of work, more than he can handle. Anybody who knows, if you're running a business, there is a right time and a wrong time for things. If you want to be effective, you want to be efficient, you got to do things in the right time. He's invited to a banquet at night. In his culture and civilization, where there were not streetlights and flashlights, and he's going to go try out his oxen in the field, nobody's going to do this for two reasons. One, you're either going to risk injury to these oxen you just bought because you can't see what's happening, or you're going to waste time because you're not going to be effective. So again, anybody who hears this is thinking, this guy is either a loser or is lying. Now, the next one, this one's funny to me, because he says, I can't come, I just got married. Which, this is the excuse every man uses, by the way, 
if he ever wants to get out of something, she's like, hey, can you do this? Now I would, but my wife. It's like, I, I, I would do it, but, you know, I've got some stuff I got to take care of. They are lying, okay? They're lying. Just you, next time you hear that, you know. So he says, I can't come. I just got married. What does being married have to do with going to a party? You know, just as a side note, I have never said to my wife, hey, would you like to not cook dinner tonight? How about we go out to eat? You don't have to, you know, we can just go out, get something. She's never said, no, nah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to go out to eat. She's like, take me. Yes, you're going to get me away from these kids. Let's do it. So he says, I can't come. I just got married. None of these are bad things, not evil. But you see, here's the problem. The things of earth can cause you to miss out on the things of heaven. They had stuff in the, in the wrong priority. And even though it's not a, a bad thing, even though I would say these are good things, a good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from the best thing. So these guys, they, they, they miss out. They're not bad, but they miss out on what they've been invited to. And I read this, and i got to be honest, I meet so many people like this. People who I think have a sincere love for Jesus. People who like God, want God in their life, want the things that God can give. I, I like the idea of Jesus. I like the idea of following Jesus. I like the idea of what he'll do in my life, but when it really comes down to it, they're letting other things take priority. And it keeps them from being at the table and receiving what God has prepared for them. So we look through this, these guys... My heart breaks for them in one sense. But then the other part of me wants to say, like, man, your excuses are stupid. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to say this to somebody? Like, they give you excuses. You're like, your excuse is stupid. <laughs> I'll say it a little bit nicer. Excuses are just lies you tell yourself. I know you believe it, but it's really a lie that you tell yourself. Well, that's what's going on in this. And the thing that sticks out to me, I noticed two of them, when they're giving their excuses, they say, please excuse me. The reason that sticks out to me is because my, my daughter, Pippa, when she's trying to convince me of her reasons, you know, she's not that great of an arguer yet. I mean, she'll, she'll argue, but her reasons are crap. So, <laughs> so what she'll do is she'll say, please, she's trying to convince me, please, pretty please, pretty please. Trying to pretty up her reasons. I think that's what we do, right? We try and pretty up our excuses. Don't make your excuses sound pretty. We try to pretty up our reasons instead of owning up 
our response. The reality is, I, I like the idea of following God, but I'm letting other things take that place. But see, in this passage, God is not content to let what he has prepared go to waste. So he says to his servant, he says, they've been invited. They're not coming. So I want you to go invite some other people. And I want you to notice what he says this second time he tells his servant to go out. He says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, crippled, blind, and the lame. It says, bring them in. I like that because the mission of our church is to bring those far from God near to life in Christ. That means that if this is your church, all of us are called to be bringers. Now, when I talk about being a bringer, that doesn't mean that you have to physically get in your car, go to somebody's house, bring them in your car. I mean, if you want to, fine, go for it. That's your gift, you know, maybe knock them unconscious, get them here, however you got to get them here. It's all good. <laughs> Jesus forgives. But when I'm talking about being a bringer, it's not about physically bringing. It's really a shift in attitude. Because the church is a table. And what I feel like we've been doing a lot is we've lost sight of the fact that the church is a table and we're telling people to go to the restaurant. Here's what I mean. Going to a restaurant is awesome. And when you go to a good restaurant, generally you want to tell people about it, right? In fact, if you know some good restaurants, let me know. I might want to check it out. But telling somebody about a restaurant is different than inviting them to the table. We have this phrase we talk about, Good news is meant to be shared. What do I mean by that? Well, the gospel is good news. Good news is meant to be shared. But you think about it differently. When you've got good news, you share it. You say, Mom and Dad, I passed the test. Got good news. Mom and Dad, I, you know, we're getting married. I said yes. It's good news. Guess what? We're pregnant. Good news. I got accepted, I graduated, I got the job, I passed the exam. When you've got good news, you share it. When you go to a good restaurant, check it out. That's kind of what we do with these cards. You got good news, you share it, pass it out, that's great. And these are great, by the way. I guess in one sense I am talking about cards, uh, talking about some different cards, invite cards. But there's a lot of great things you can do with these. I, I heard one person, they... Um, they deliver Uber Eats, and so they were taking these staple on them to all their deliveries. It's great. Go for it. Other people, they, uh, you know, been out at a restaurant, left a generous tip, generous being 25% or more. Don't do it if you don't leave a generous tip, but a generous tip and uh, left it. That, you can do that. Um, you, can, uh, you can, you know, put this up at, some people put it up at their gym, at their coffee shop. That's great. That is sharing the good news. That is, go check out this restaurant. Whoever's helping me out, can you give me that table? I don't know who's doing that for me. But, but the way a lot of us do this is different because we've lost sight that the church is a table. And so we tell people about the restaurant 
And can you imagine now, if I said to somebody, in fact, Jay, I need you to help me out a little bit, if you would. Jay, would you get up here? I just want you to sit at that end of the table. This is the way, give it up for Jay as he's up here. You can go ahead and sit at that end of that table, if you don't mind. Jay is, uh, he's the realtor that helped us get this building. And, uh, yeah. And so, your, your business is about to take off so much more. Now, this is your moment. Just want you to, just want you to uh, bask in this moment. This is the way a lot of us, I say the church is a table. This is how we think about it. I got my seat. Like, look how awkward this is. This table is really awkward. And we'll say to somebody, hey, I want you to come to church. You should come to church. And it's like, hey, you're over there. You got your meal. I got my meal. Hope it's good. I mean, can you imagine if, if Jay and I, and I was, I was like, hey, we should, uh, you, you should, we should go to lunch. Sure, what, what restaurant? Oh, that one on, on the corner. Okay, what time? Let's, let's do 1130. We get there, and I'm already here. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, hey, cool to see you. I'm just kind of doing my thing. When the church is a table, it's not a restaurant where we're all just taking our spots. The, the church as a table is this idea, I want you to sit with me. And when I say be a bringer, it's the difference between you should go and sit with me. Now, you should go is okay. That's sharing good news. But it's not nearly as good as come sit with me. Can you give it up for Jay? Thanks for helping me out. So, why am I telling you all of this? Because in just two weeks... We're getting ready to throw a big party. That's what Easter is, Amen. by the way. Amen. It's a big party. We are celebrating that our God has risen from the grave yes. and that through his resurrection, he has conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave. It's a big party. And guess what? We've been preparing. We've, we've been preparing. And there's already an invitation that's gone out. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you put it on the screen for me. We got this, uh, this mailer, this invitation that's being sent out. It's going to 50,000 households this week. So, so let me explain. That's, that's every household in Lawrence. And then it's some of the small towns, Eudora, Baldwin City, some of the small towns is going to get an invitation. But like in the parable, the first invitation doesn't really mean much. It's the second invitation that matters. I'm asking you to be a bringer and to, to shift not just the you should go to sit with me. It is a powerful shift. And here's the good news, bad news of the situation. You do this. 
good news, bad news, is most people probably won't come. So, like, you get credit for the invite, but you don't have to save them a seat. That might be, like, good news for you. I don't know. But can you imagine, can you imagine the impact we can have in our city if all of us decide to be bringers? I'll just tell you this history at our church. Easter is by far our most attended but most impactful Sunday that we do. We see more people saved on Easter than any other standalone, more than Christmas. I mean, Christmas, there's a lot. We have some other things where we do popcorn and movies. There's a lot. But Easter is by far the biggest. I mean, so many people, we, we baptized uh, this guy, Eddie, this morning, and uh, this was so cool because Eddie's story was unique because he, uh, he had come to church because he'd seen the church, and that's how he got connected and went through essentials, got on a team, got baptized, recommitted his life to Christ. Um, he didn't come by way of invitation, but most people that we baptize, and, when, and the reason we do it in church is you hear them say, hey, how did you hear about Velocity? How did you start coming? So-and-so invited me. Last time we did it, worship night, we had entire family baptized because of one invitation. You don't know what's on the other side of this, where destinies are changed, eternities are changed, family trees are changed, generations are changed. You don't know what's on the other side of an invite. But what I was telling about Eddie, here's what was cool. He didn't have somebody invite him. He, uh, he got baptized. But there was this guy in the service who said, way to go, Eddie. Because I don't say, hey, you got anybody here? Well, you got your church family. He's like, well, I don't have anybody here for me, but I've got church family. And this guy says, way to go, Eddie. Stands up in the, in the congregation. Come to find out, Eddie had invited him to church the day before. He didn't even know he was at church, and that guy is watching him get baptized. So, so you just don't know the power of an invitation, and I'm just asking, will you be a, be a bringer? Not, you should go. That's okay, but sit with me is powerful. Now, I want to show you in the text how to do this, because what's interesting, he, he says to the servant, he says, I want you to go to the streets and the alleys in town, and I want you to bring in, he says, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The reason that's interesting to me is because the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, these were people that you would normally not look for. They were typically people you would not look for. There were four of them. So I want to give you four knots to look for. Four, four knots to look for to have a sit-with-me conversation. Here's the first one. Somebody says, I'm not from here. I know you weren't here the first service, but Eddie, the reason he got connected to church because he wasn't from here. He had moved here from Wichita. And when you hear somebody, you're in a conversation, oh, you know, we're from, oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not from here. That's a great opportunity for you to say, 
Man, will you sit with me? Need community. Need friendships. Need relationships. Here's another one. Somebody says, man, things are, uh, things are not going well. Hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm not good. Not, not doing too well. When you hear that, that is your cue to have a sit-with-me conversation. And would you sit with me at church this weekend? I, I know what it's like to not be doing well. I've had times like that myself. I found being part of a church community, though, man, when I get there, something in the worship, something in the message, something about being in that place, something about being around God's people, it changes. I'll just tell you, my life does not feel the same if I miss a weekend. Will, will you sit with me? How about somebody says, I'm not ready. And you got a lot going on in your life, big promotion, getting married. Hey, man, I'm not ready. Having a baby, I am not ready. Getting ready to move, I am not ready. I'm not prepared for this. And I, I lost my dad. I am not prepared to deal with this. Somebody says, I'm not ready. That's your cue. That, that's a not to look for. I want to invite you to sit with me. Here, here's, a, here's a good one. Not in church. It's a great person to invite. You hear somebody say they're, they're not in church? Invite them. Hey, would you come sit with me? Be a bringer. That's what it looks like to be a bringer. Now, here's what I love about this. If you change your invitation from you should go to sit with me, guess what? You can't invite people without being a church. <laughs> Can you imagine what it would be like you told somebody they should go and then you're not there? be awkward so when you when you change it 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 changes the paradigm of the conversation it is much more effective let's keep going because he didn't just stop there after he brought these people in he said the servant said hey what you ordered has been done but there's still room then the master told the servant he said go out to the roads the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. A couple things I like with this. One, you want to know where to start? They started in town. Start close. Start with the relationships you're close with. You know somebody that's not here? Invite them to sit with you. But then you don't have to stop there. You can start there, but don't stop there. Maybe you've got some distant relationships. Just go out into the country lanes. Compel them to come in. Maybe there's been some friendships that you've let grow distant because you haven't been in touch with them. You can invite them too. You can start close, but don't stop there. This is God's heart. I'm telling you, we're going to see God do powerful things in people's lives all through the power of an invitation. And I promise you, when you see somebody get baptized that you invited to church, that will be your favorite Sunday. Nothing else will compare. So we're going to get to see God work in people's lives. It all starts with being a bringer. And I would just invite you to pray. Um, we, we don't just do this. It's not about marketing or strategy. We, seek, we want to see God move in people's lives. We, we want to see strongholds broken in people's lives. 
We want to see destinies changed in people's lives. It happens at the table. You know, that last verse said, go into the country lanes. In other words, you go to some far places. Go to some places in the distance. Maybe that's you here. Maybe you feel like the person that is distant from God right now. Can I tell you, if you are far from God, here's the good news. There's room at the table. God has prepared something for you. And this is your invitation to come in. He wants you to have a seat. He wants you to experience what he has prepared for you. So if you're far from God today, don't miss the moment. Don't don't miss the invite. Don't miss this right now. And what God has prepared is so good. His purpose, fullness of joy, freedom from your past, past mistakes, past history is under the blood of Jesus.